Thank you. 
If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. While you're turning there, Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Shout out to the grosses who are watching online, family members. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. A couple months ago, somebody came up to me and said, I had only met this person like one other time, but they came up to me and they said, why are Christians so weird? Right? And I, like, I could totally relate because I look at our church and I'm like, you know, we, we attract weird people. Abby told me it's because you are weird and so you attract people like you, right? So we are weird though. And I laughed and I was like, what, what do you mean? And, and this person was like, they said, well, you know, I've got Christian family members that are in my life, and they're constantly inviting me to church, constantly telling me about this Jesus, constantly encouraging me to read the Word, and, and they just seem a little crazy about all of that. And so I said, oh, that's good. And I, and I asked them, I said, have, have you ever experiencing, experienced something so amazing in your life that you just wanted everybody else around you to experience? And, and, and this person was like, yeah, I have. And I said, that's really at the heart of it. You know, sometimes we do things that are a little crazy, you know, but at the heart of it, it's because we care about our friends and family members that don't know Christ. And we want them to experience what we've experienced. Amen? <clears throat> well, last week, we focused on the direction of Christ. If you were not here and you did not watch that, I would encourage you to go back and watch that sermon because it's, it's critical for starting off this new year. So the direction of Jesus Christ, we said that Christ comes to us all and he says two words, follow me, right? Follow me. That's how he called his disciples. That's what he says to me. Now, naturally, whenever somebody comes up to you and says that, whether you're, they're your friends or your family members or a stranger, there's one question that probably pops up into your mind. Well, where are you going, right? And so that's what we looked at. We shared three parables. This is the only time in the Bible that Jesus uses three parables in a row to communicate the same truth. And it's all about the direction that Christ is headed. The only time, parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, or also known as the parable of the prodigal son. In, in all three of those parables, there is something in the wrong place, something in the right place, and God. Right? You see that. And we said, we looked at where is God's attention? In all three of those stories, God's attention is on what's in the wrong place, right? That one sheep that wandered away, that one lost coin, the lost son. And we see God going after him, going after the lost sheep, leaving the 99, right? Sweeping the house, turning the house apart to find that lost coin, and watching for that lost son, just waiting every day, waiting for that lost son to come home, and then God runs to him and fully restores him, embraces him, brings him back into the family. Today, I want to continue along with kind of that thought and, and, and look at not the direction of Christ, but the mission of Christ what he came to do. We're going to look at that in detail, and, and I hope it sets us up for this new year. And a lot of this might be what you already know, but I'm hoping it speaks to you fresh. 
I'm hoping it speaks to somebody that doesn't know Christ and they get to hear about a Lord and Savior who loves them. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. I don't know if you know this, but in the story of Jesus' birth, we see his mission. It's in there. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, Yeshua, right? Why the name Jesus? Verse 21 tells us, because he will save his people from their sins. Christmas is all about the birth of Christ, but it's, it's also about Jesus Christ defeating our greatest enemy, sin. Think about all that's wrong in this world. Think about it. Everything that's wrong in this world stems from sins. It's a casualty of sin. Every time a person chooses to lie to somebody, right? It's sin. Every time a person chooses to hurt someone physically or emotionally, every time somebody takes advantage of someone, every time somebody abuses somebody, every time somebody betrays someone, sin destroys lives. Not only of the person who's doing that, but of everybody else around them, everybody else that's affected by those choices. And we know that sin leads to separation from God. It separates us from our Creator forever. Unless someone does something about that sin, right? Unless someone has the power to save us from our sins and offer us life. Life to the fullest. That's really what we celebrate on Christmas. That's why we're so weird. We're all dead, right? We're all trapped in sin. We're all in bondage to that. But we met a Savior who sets us free. And we experience a totally new life. He flips our lives upside down, and it's the most amazing experience that we've ever had. And so all we want to do is tell someone else about it so that they can experience it. That's why we're weird. But when the angels announced Jesus' birth, they were also announcing his mission that was to free us from sin and death. It took his death to accomplish this, right? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27, 45. Just going to flip a little bit more. Matthew 27, verse 45. His death, 
is tied to his birth. We see it foretold, right, in that first account that we just read. When we think about the manger, we also need to remember the cross. Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. The people don't understand the significance. They don't understand what's going on, right? God is literally changing eternity in these moments. He's, he's changing history. Verse 50, and when Jesus has cr- had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Another eyewitness account says that he said, it is finished. It is accomplished, right? In our account here, it says he gave up his spirit. So in flesh and blood, gasping for air, right? Nailed to that cross, bleeding, the Son of God now dies. And in the instant, he dies. It sets off a chain of events that literally changes our history. That's literally still felt 2,000 years later, right? Louis Giglio, one of my favorite pastors to watch, has a series about everything that was split by Jesus, everything that got split by this. And he, and he points out that how time and history gets split, right? Split by his birth. We, we measure time and we split it as his birth. We have B.C. and A.D., before Christ and Anno Domini, Right In the year of our Lord, time is split as his birth. Verse 51, in that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain was the very thing that prevented us from getting into the presence of God. It blocked us, and it was split in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split showing us that this wasn't just affecting the spiritual world. This also affected the natural world, our earth. The rocks split, and tombs broke open. Tombs broke open, and not only did they split open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The one who split history, split the barrier between us and God, split the rocks, split the tombs, and saw people raised to life. A chain reaction was started and put into motion by what Christ did. Look how the centurions and guards react in the next verses. When the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. The guards, the centurions, we're not talking about Jews, right? We're talking about people who despised 
the Jews. These men had seen hundreds of people crucified. They had been a part of hundreds of people losing their life. But this one was different. This one shook the earth. This one brought darkness across the land. They, they witnessed literally the walking dead, right? People coming out of the tombs and going into the city of Jerusalem, and it terrified them. It terrified them, and the only explanation that they could come up with, the only reason that they could fathom in their mind was, surely this was the Son of God. There's a huge spiritual implication that we need to see and and understand in this. The instant he died, my friends, our debt was paid in full. The punishment for our sin, for all those choices that we've made that are selfish, that have hurt other people, that have caused pain, right? The punishment for all those choices that we've made was paid in full. Equally important, there was a way made to God. There was a way made to God that's significant. You've probably heard me say this before, but if you look at all other religions, they're all based on you doing something to get to God. In Islam, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds, or you need to die in some battle, right, against an infidel. In every other religion, you have to struggle. You have to be good enough. You have to work hard enough. I've said it before. It's like God is on a mountain. And maybe if you can climb that mountain, if you're good enough to climb that mountain, maybe you can reach God. Maybe. But it's totally different, right, with Christianity. We celebrate the Savior's birth. God comes down. God lives with us. God with us. Emmanuel, right? God dies for us to pay the debt of all the things we've done. And he makes a way to God the Father. Amen? Amen. The writer of Hebrews explains it like this way in chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the place that we couldn't get to because it was curtained off, right? But that curtain was split in two. Now we can enter. How? By the blood of Jesus. Since we have the confidence to enter the most holy by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. A new way was opened for us through the curtain. The curtain that was torn away. Now we're talking about Jesus' body that was torn. Right? His body that was torn. Before Jesus goes to the cross on the way there, his flesh is torn right when they're beating him. Bible says chunks of skin and flesh are ripped off. They put a crown on his head and those thorns tear into his flesh on his head. They drive nails through his hands and feet and tear the flesh right of his body. 
And then they impale him with a spear on his side and tear his flesh again. And my friends, he knew all that was coming and still went ahead with it. He knew his body would be torn. Before he died, he told his followers, he took him into the upper room, right, into an intimate setting, and he told them to do something. He said, do this in remembrance of me, right? We did it last week. We celebrated communion. And he took a piece of bread, and he tore it. And he said, this is my body, broken apart, torn for you, right? And I don't think he wanted his, his friends and his family members and those people there were to, to focus in on, on the actual what happened to his body. I think he wanted them to focus. I think he wants us to focus and remember who he did it for. For you. For me. For everyone. Right? He died for the world if we'll only accept it. a new and living way to have a relationship with God here and now. Not when we die. Here and now was made. If you keep on reading the passage, it says that we can approach God with confidence. Could you imagine approaching the creator of the universe, the one who spoke a billion planets into existence? Could you imagine approaching him with all your sin? With confidence, we can do that by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Not with confidence that rests on what we've done. Man, the closer I go to God, the more I realize just how messed up I am, how far from God's standard I am, how far from his heart, man, how different my heart is. Man, I'd never be able to approach with confidence if it was on me. But praise God, it's not. It's on his righteousness, right? It's based on what he did. My trust is completely in that. That is my only hope. I'll never be good enough. I'll never do enough good things, right, to, all, to, to offset all the pain that I've caused. There's no way but my hope is in Christ and what he did for me, his death for me. That's what we celebrate at this time. Don't just see a baby, right? Don't just see the manger. See the one who conquers sin and death. Amen? See the one who split open the gates of hell. See the baby. See the manger. Be mystified. By God becoming flesh. How does that even happen? I don't know, right? Be amazed by that. Be amazed by Emmanuel, God with us. Why would he come and live with us? Why would he do that? Why would he serve us? Why would he wash our feet? Why would he die for us? Be amazed by all that, but remember, he's a warrior. He's God. The apostle John gets a view of Jesus in heaven. We read this when we were looking through Revelation. Revelation 1.12, I love this. Picture this in your mind. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. 
And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Have you ever seen metal being worked on and it's heated up so that it becomes pliable? That's what I picture here his feet were like. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Remember, this is prophetic imagery meant to stir our souls, right? His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Have you ever looked at the sun or tried to look at the sun? That's what John sees. Get this, though, all right? John knows Jesus. He's a friend of Jesus, right? Jesus said, hey, John, when he's on the cross, take care of my mom. They're like family, right? He spent three years with him. But notice what happens when John sees him. He's not like long time no see. Hey, Jesus, what's up, right? Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the view of God, right? Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Listen to this. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. Amen? I am the first And the last, I am the living one. I was dead. Hey, John, you saw me dead. But look now. I'm alive forevermore. That's pretty cool. But I love this next part. End of verse 18. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do you get that? I mean, do you... Do you really understand that? I hold the keys to death and hell. They're the keys to our freedom, right? They're the keys to our freedom. I have friends that are realtors, and and, uh, they love to post pictures of of new homebuyers, especially first-time homebuyers, and they show these homebuyers, and sometimes they'll hold up the keys, right? They're proud of those keys. They've got those keys. That picture happens... Because there was a closing. Right? There's a closing. There's a legal transaction. There was a payment. It was notarized. It was signed. It's a done deal. Right? And ownership has transferred. It's taken place. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us today. Payment has been made. It's done. It's over. It's signed. It's sealed. It's notarized. Right? It's closed. And Jesus holds the key to death and hell. In other words, Christ went to hell and took the keys from the enemy. He took all the keys and he tells us, hey, I hold them. I hold them. 
This isn't a flex. This isn't like Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16, 18, hey, Peter, on this confession that you just made, I'm going to build my church on that rock and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I don't know about you, but whenever I read this, I feel like I have to flex. I have to, like the church has to take on the gates of hell, right? Let's give the enemy a black eye. But Jesus is like, here's how we're going to deal with the gates of hell, right? I'm going down there. I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to defeat hell. I'm going to be raised up to everlasting life. I'm going to be the living one, right? And while I'm down there, I'm going to keep the keys to everything, and I'm going to bring them back, and I'm going to show you that I got them. Amen? Jesus has the keys. He has all the keys, the keys to spiritual life, the keys that open up hell and let you out of the wrath of God, the wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve, the wrath that separates us from God for eternity because of our sinful choices. It's the keys that let in forgiveness. It's the keys that let in grace. It's the keys that let in mercy. It's the keys that allow us to have a relationship with the God of the universe right now through Jesus Christ, through the curtain that was torn, through the body that was torn, through the blood that was poured out for us. That's one key. Anyone need that key? When Jesus showed up, when his friend Lazarus had died, he said to Lazarus' sister in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I'm the key. He then goes on to say, whoever believes in me, puts their faith in me, trusts in me, will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die he's conquered death and when he says this he asks martha do you believe this my friends that's the question he's asking each and every one of us today maybe you've answered that a long time ago praise god right but maybe today you're hearing that from the first time do you believe in this? Do you believe me? My friends, he has the key to eternal life. He is the key to eternal life. If you believe in him, put your faith in him, put your trust in him, and not what you do, right? Not what you do. Saved. You can be set free. Without this key, you're stuck. You're stuck in sin. Man, I remember what that's like. If you're stuck there, you know it. You know what that's like. You're stuck in a life leading to death, a life leading nowhere. You feel that. You feel there's got to be something more. It's like you're stuck carrying a weight, right? The weight of all the choices that you've made, the wrong choices that you've made, the things that you've done, a weight of sin, a weight of guilt, a weight of shame, right? You carry that. You carry that around with you. You search for something, something that will take that weight away, something to give your life purpose, and you'll find something and it'll do that for a week or an hour, or a day, or a month, but then you're right back there, carrying that weight, 
knowing that there's something more. You want forgiveness? That's exactly what he offers you right now. Forgiveness for everything that you've done, for everything that you will do. That's the offer. What's it take? Believing in him. Confessing him as Jesus Christ, as Lord. Right? Pretty good deal. He said, I got the key. I conquered sin. I paid the price for your sin. I'll take that weight. Let me take it. Right? Let me take it. Let me give you a new life. Let me flip your life upside down. Let me set you in a new direction. God is pursuing you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. Right? When you're stuck in sin, you're weary. You're burdened. God's pursuing you. God says, I love you. I paid the price. I let my flesh be torn for you. My blood was poured out for you. If you put your trust in me, put your faith in me, I'll save you. I'll save you. I got the keys to set you free, the doors to open hell. If you come through me, all you have to do is put your complete trust in him. This is why Christians are so weird, right? Because we've experienced this. We've experienced this transaction where God does all the work. We don't deserve it. God just offers it to us. And all we have to do is believe and trust him. It's not fair. God's getting the raw end of that, right? This is why I said we're so crazy. We want our friends and family members, we're desperate for you to experience this. We're desperate for you, for God to flip open your life, flip it upside down. Man, I know what exactly what it's like to carry the weight of my sins around. I remember those days. God came up to me, though, and said, you can be free of that weight. Trust me with it. Put your faith in me. And when I did, man, it was like 100 pounds came off, right? It was the most freeing thing in this world. If you want that, do what I did. I said, will you forgive me? Will you just forgive me for all the things that I've done wrong? I said, I trust you. I put my faith in you. You're my only hope, Lord. Be my Lord and Savior, right? Come into my life. Show me what to do. Lead me. And he said, follow me. And I said, yes. That's available to each and every one of us today. And I pray you take him up on that. Yeah, I'm going to be weird, and I'm going to tell people about that. If they accept it, I'll be happy. If they don't, I'll still love them, right? But I'm going to tell them about that because I want them to experience that. Anybody that will listen to me, anybody that God gives me a weird opportunity to tell that to, because it changed my life. I wouldn't care about you guys before Christ. I care about my family, you know, maybe some close friends. 
But man, when I meet somebody now that I don't even know, I care about them for some weird reason because of him. He's changed my life. He's given me a new focus, man. It's not about the things of this world, right? It's not about toys. It's about eternity. I don't care if my kids are doctors, lawyers, successful business people. I just want them to know Jesus Christ. I just want my son to stay awake during a sermon and listen to me. Uh, (laughs) maybe you know this right maybe you know this can I remind you that Christ holds all the keys he holds all the keys he's got the keys to set you free to that addiction listen you've already been set free from it just walk in it it's not will God set me free from this he set you free he's given you a way out from that addiction. The bondage has been broken. He's conquered sin. And if you know Christ, the way is made. We messed that up, all right? The way's already made. You're free from it. Walk in that, right? The cell that you've been locked in, maybe with a habit, that not so good way that you look at everything, that past that you can't let go of, right? The thing that you did, that you just can't seem to find forgiveness for from it. That hurt that somebody else did to you that you can't find freedom from. Anyone have just, man, something that you're just really ashamed of in their life? Gosh. Man, I remember struggling that for decades with that one. And then I realized he's got the key. You know what drives me nuts, man? It's amazing that Jesus' body was broken, torn for us. It's amazing in that fact that knowing this, that we would still be people who don't feel worthy of his love. When we do communion and somebody doesn't feel worthy of participating in that and remembering what Christ did for them, man, my heart goes out to that person. They're, They're stuck in shame. They're stuck in something, man. And if they just realized the king of the universe died for them, the king of the universe let his body be torn for them, his blood was poured out for them, man. Freedom covers everything. He paid the complete debt. They're free from that. I wish they would just get that, right? That's what communion's about, remembering what Jesus did, the price that he paid for us. If you're still behind the bars of your past mistakes, your shame, your guilt, all your deeds, you're still back there, please hear this, right? There's a holy, perfect God that says, I unlocked those doors. There is no more shame, right? There is no more condemnation. All you have to do is walk through and accept it. Believe it. Trust in it. When the enemy comes and tells you and tries to make you feel that shame, just tell him, Christ paid for that, for that thing that I did. He paid for it all. My father knew Christ, but he was in bondage to shame and guilt. He was in bondage to all the regrets that he had of being not the best father. And he looked to alcohol. He looked to drugs. 
for freedom from it. And it, and it only gave him moments of freedom. Just those times where things were numbed, but he woke up to that shame. And I wish... Wish you had one more opportunity, right? Tell them that Christ died for that. Let it go. Forgive yourself, right? Accept Christ's forgiveness fully. Walk in that. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that mercy. Walk in that grace, right? Does somebody need to hear that today? Walk in it. Take it, man. That's who you are in Christ. Please hear me. Jesus has the keys to hell and whatever hell you're in right now. Let him set you free. This is his mission, to see people saved from sin and death. He conquered it. He made a way. Let me end with this. There was a time I was coming home from working pretty late. I used to work at Taco Bell, and I was coming home at like 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And when I got home, I realized I didn't have my house keys. I don't know what I did with them. Didn't have them. Couldn't find them. And so I, I go up to the front door, and I'm looking around. Man, did I, did I put a key underneath the mat? Did I put a key up on this you know, mantle up here? No key. No key. Go back to my car. Are my keys in there? No key, right? My mom lived close by. I'm like, do I... Go and wake her. I know she's sleeping. She goes to bed at like at 6 o'clock at night, right? I knew she'd be sleeping, and I didn't want her to wake her up. So what's the next thing you do? Went and started checking doors. The other door, right, the windows. Are any of these windows open? I'm just praying nobody's looking over here and sees me trying to break into my house, you know, and get in there and call the police. And I'm thinking, man, am I going to have to sleep in my car? Am I going to have to go back to work and sleep there? Or do I wake my mom up? And like I said, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to bang on the door and do that. So I'm contemplating all of this. And I'm thinking about how comfortable this car is going to be to sleep in and how cold it's going to be at night. And I just decided, let let me just go up to that door again and, and check it out. And I went up to the door. And I turned the handle this time. And it opened right up. Opened right up. My friends, I think that's the picture of what Jesus is trying to say to us today. I think somebody needs to hear this. The front door is open. Right? He made the way. The door's open. Just open it. Just go up there and do that. Let me, let me tell you something. Somebody hear this. You don't got to be good enough to go inside. Right? You don't have to be good enough to go inside. The door's open. Somebody hear this. You don't have to clean yourself up before you go inside. You got to take your shoes off at my house, but not this door. You don't have to be clean enough to go inside. The door's open. You see, it's not about you. It's not about you. 
It's about the Son of God leaving heaven and coming to earth. It's about him dying and going down to the depths of hell, right? And demonstrating he's God and his authority and saying, I'll take the key. I'm taking all the keys, right? I'm taking the keys and I'm going to set the people free, right? Because the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me, right? Anointed me to set the captives free. That's our Lord and Savior. That's who we put our trust in. Jesus made the way. Jesus said, I am the way. He split the veil between us and God. He split the gates of hell by allowing himself to death and be ra- being raised to life so that we could be set free. And he offers salvation to everyone that has ears to hear. I pray Anybody that's listening has ears to hear. I pray the Holy Spirit is working on your hearts right now and that you surrender your life to God. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? This was the mission of Christ. It is finished. It's done. Now the mission of the church Now the mission for each and every one of us is to take this good news to the world, to those that don't know Christ, to that waitress who needs her HVAC fixed, right? And you go and do that and you get an opportunity to tell them, to tell her about Christ. This is what we're about. This is who we are. This is how we have to start this year with that focus, with that mission, Right? Can I challenge you something this year? Lead somebody to Christ. Attempt it, right? Attempt it at least. Tell someone the good news. Tell someone what Christ has done in your life. Pray for an opportunity. Lord, give me one opportunity with somebody to tell them about the good news, to tell them what Jesus did for me and what he can do for them. And let me lead them. Let me partner with your Holy Spirit and see them come to know you. Will you take on that challenge this year? Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're scared to do that. Take it on. You're born for this. You're called for this. Right? God equips you to do this. He'll give you the words. He'll lead the conversation. I wouldn't be surprised if you start praying for this, that somebody comes up to you and says, hey, would you tell me about Jesus Christ? I would not be surprised if that happens. He won't give you something that's beyond you. He won't. Trust him with it. Take on the challenge. That's the call of the church. Amen? Hey, listen. If you don't know Christ... Here's your opportunity to give your life to Christ. I want to end with this prayer. And if you don't know him, would you pray with me about it? And if you pray this prayer, would you come tell me that you prayed this prayer, that you finally or that you initially gave your life to Christ? Would you do that?
Maybe you're online. Maybe you're watching this three months from now. Find my email address. Nathan, let's put it in the, put it in the video. Put my cell phone number in there. Whatever. Send me a text. Call me up. Tell me so I can celebrate with you. Right? Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we know. We all know. It's no secret. There's no nothing that doesn't tell us, man, we've all sinned. We've all done things that we know we shouldn't have done. We've all been selfish. We've all hurt people. We've all lied to people. Lord, we've stolen. We've been dishonest. We've caused pain. And Father, we believe that the only hope we have is in you is in your righteousness. Father, we believe that you died on a cross for our sins and that you paid the price for all those things that we've done. And Father, we ask you to save us. Lord, we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We confess it, Lord. You are our God. You are our Savior. Lord, we believe in you. We trust you. We ask you, Lord, Would you come into our lives? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to start in a new direction following you? Lord, when you're asking us right now to follow you, Lord, we say yes with every part of our being. Lord, wherever you have us go, whatever you want from us, we're yours. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. Thank you for dying on a cross for our sins. Thank you for coming to this earth and being born. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for setting the example. Thank you for showing us how to live this life in the best way. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for walking beside us through no matter what we're going through. And Father, thank you for giving us a family a church family that loves us, that will be there for us. Thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me know if you made that prayer, all right? Thank you. You're dismissed.